and welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org, and with me I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of christiangospelchurch.org. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, we're leading up to the point in time that I really feel, in all of my research, I've really felt that this is the saddest time. We're nearing the point of William Branham's death, and, you know, as a former cult member, that was sadness in a different way while I was in the cult. But now that I'm out and I see what has happened and I see the events leading up to what happened, I'm where I, I used to be really sad for William Branham and, you know, the, the life story that came to the tragic end. But now I'm really sad for the people because I see in the events leading up to his death I see what is happening in the world around it, and I see all of the background elements of history, a very dark history that's leading up to it. And, uh, you know, I, I just have to say it's one of the most troubling times for the people who are in the message. <clears throat> but beyond that, the scope of the same type of sadness can be applied to the entire nation as a whole. This was a very, very dark chapter in United States history. And, you know, it bruised America very deeply. But in the religious world, it wasn't just William Branham that was buying into this thing that we're about to discuss today. This was widespread. So you can't really say all of this is the message, but we're focusing on the point of time leading up to William Branham's death, and we're concentrating on how the the world around William Branham <clears throat> is turning into this you know, nightmare in American history, and we're seeing that nightmare being applied within the cult, hyper-focused on his failing mental health. We see the dark chapter in America, plus you have all of these people who are under the control and submission <clears throat> of a person who is literally losing his mind. So we do have an interesting episode today for our listeners, John, and I think it is important uh, for them and for anyone who's interested just to understand what was going on at the time there in 1965, what the message was like, what was going on around them, um, because we've chronologically been following the life of times of William Branham from his birth right up into his death, and our last couple episodes uh, have brought us really into the final years of his life right up into 1965, um, right right up to the, you know, the, just the culmination of everything. And before we examine his actual death and the aftermath of that event, we do want to take some time and examine what the message was like right in the months before he died. Because his death was not supposed to happen. Um, it came out of nowhere. None of his followers expected that. And William Dan Branham really, in one sense, died right at a moment when he was taking his cult through a major transition. Um, a critical mass of his followers had really only recently um, transitioned into the state where they were totally dependent on him. Uh, William Branham had convinced all of his followers that he was either God himself or the voice of God. 
and his followers believe that their only hope of salvation and escaping this imminent doomsday uh, was some secret that only William Branham could reveal to them. And the message movement as a whole um, had really transitioned into that very radical state just in the last three years of his life. And he was still in the process of defining what that phase of his ministry um, and that new phase of the cult was going to look like. Uh, and then he suddenly died right in the middle of him making that transition for the entire group. And I think to understand how his death impacted his followers, it's important that we spend some time talking about what the message movement um, and the culture around them was like um, in the months that he, just before his death. Right. And I think it's also important to understand what's happening in the world around them, because it's not just William Branham that is influencing the people. The white supremacy in the South is heavily influencing the nation. And beyond that, you have a strong influence in the world around them. In March 7, 1965, it's called Bloody Sunday. There were about 200 Alabama state troopers that attacked over 500 civil rights demonstrators in Alabama. And, you know, that's the type of hatred that is rising up in the South. You have all of the white supremacists who are saying that the nation is being overrun by communists and the communists are allowing the people with black skin to rise in America. The theology of these white supremacists, it's a very pseudo-Christian re religious movement. And the theology of these white supremacists was such that Rome was invading using communism as its means to in infiltrate the United States government, and they would allow the, the black people to rise and they would take over the country, basically, was the <clears throat> premise of this theology. And whether by coincidence or as a planned strategy, we see William Branham's Theolog theological points in his sermons 100% matching those of the white supremacists. And, you know, they saw war coming, right? Well, also 1965, March 8th, you had the first ground troops going into Vietnam to fight communism in Vietnam. 3,500 ground troops landed. And in the background of all of this, you had the Second Ecumenical Council for the Vatican. And, you know, the Catholic Church had announced that they would, <laughs> it, it's ironic, they announced that they would bring a renewal to the Catholic Church that they dubbed a, quote, new Pentecost. So you have the Catholic Church rising, you have the United States rising to war against the communists, you have all of these clan and white supremacist organizations saying that communism has invaded the nation and they're singling out people in politics that they say this person's communist and this other person's communist. So in the world around the message, they're seeing it as a, the beginning of the end of days war that William Branham and Wesley Swift, who Branham appears to have stolen a lot of this theology from, they're seeing it as this end-of-days war that is now taking place in the years leading up to William Branham's death. Right. In, in 1965, John, was the first time um, a pope ever came to America. Okay. <laughs> and uh, William Branham made so much hay out of that. Um, 
You know, they have their Catholic president. They have all of the conspiracy stuff lining out. The Pope comes to the United States. I mean, everything is feeding into their doomsday doomsday scenario. And I think that's another really important um, thing to... To, to realize, you know, a huge part of the, of the message at that point was it was doomsday beliefs. And it's hard to overstate just how strongly William Branham's followers believed the world was about to end. It was a very deeply held belief. And it was a somewhat recent development that had become so all-consuming for them. Um, William Branham had not really been overly focused on doomsday, in the early days of his ministry, you know, as best we know anyway. It was really only after he first met Richard Nixon in 1954 that William Branham's doomsday beliefs started to build steam. Okay, so he met Nixon in 54, and then doomsday enters into his basically nuclear apocalypse with communism and the papacy somehow is connected into this, enters into William Branham's sermons. And as you go through time, and especially as you come up to the last years of his life, William Branham is totally consumed by his doomsday scenario. Um, just about every single sermon he preaches um, includes some references to this doomsday scenario um, in the final years of his life. And As we mentioned in our last couple episodes, the message movement generally believed that there was a secret conspiracy by the Catholic Pope to seize power over the world. Uh, they believed he's going to do that by making a pact or a covenant with the Jewish people. And many of them believed that the Jewish people secretly controlled communism. So they believed it was going to be this alliance of Jews and communists and Catholics that was going to overthrow the world. And that was happening against the backdrop of, uh, you know, the real things that were going on then. You know, communism was certainly real. It was a real threat to the Western world. But communism certainly is also not, it's absolutely not a Jewish conspiracy, right? You know, communism was spreading around the world. Tensions were high between NATO and the Soviet nations. There was a real fear of nuclear war in society. And there was also a lot of civil unrest going on in the United States, like you mentioned there, John. Uh, you had Al you had Mississippi burning. You had uh, quite a number of things going on through that period. The Birmingham bombings were, were coming into focus there. And all of that was happening. Kennedy, the first Catholic president, had came to power. Um, then, you know, the assassination had happened and all of that stuff. There's all of these fears of a race war breaking out. The Pope is coming to the United States. And so William Branham and his followers are all really convinced that they're watching the doomsday scenario unfold right in front of them. And I think it's important to understand the message doomsday beliefs from back in the 60s because people in the message today are more or less still believing in a version of that 1960s doomsday beliefs that William Branham had put together with the rest of his followers there at the end of his life. Right, and there's something that you said that I want to make sure that our listeners fully grasp, because whenever you read any of the histories or biographies of William Branham, they're usually aligned with the latest version of his stage persona, and they filter or read the other versions of the stage persona through that latest version. And they, in effect, they turn his statements in the earlier years of his ministry into something completely different than what they actually were. But in the early years of his ministry, um, 
you know, we've examined this previously. Whenever he was aligned with the mission of Gerald Burton Winrod, and they were preaching heavily against Mussolini, William Branham claimed that he prophesied and said that if Mussolini ever goes towards Ethiopia, there'll never be peace till Jesus comes. And it's not a doomsday scenario. It's a peace scenario. In other words, the world will be in turmoil and it will lead up to the tribulation. It isn't this end of day scenario where communism is going to come and just totally obliterate the United States. It's that there's no peace. And he was saying that, you know, in the 50, up to the 50s, whenever he's closely aligned with Winrod. <clears throat> there comes a point in time, and I'm still early into this research, but Winrod's theology and, <clears throat> and his political affiliations seems to deviate from the full gospel businessmen, and he's supporting different political parties than the full gospel businessmen. There comes a point in time in which this shifts, <clears throat> and when, especially when William Branham starts working with Nixon, and we talked about the Nixon Communist Commission, where he's telling William Branham to spread the fear of communism and the full gospel businessmen. <clears throat> well, after this, and in the later versions of his stage persona, William Branham says that he declared in 1933 that there would be a total obliteration of the United States due to the rise of communism. And where where in the early versions of his stage persona, he said there would be one ism, and he doesn't know which one it is. In the later versions of his stage persona, he says it was definitely communism, and <laughs> that changes again into Romanism. So there's this weird shift. And ironically, in the early years of his ministry, You've got Winrod, who's heavily speaking against the Jews and spreading anti-Semitism. Well, in the in 1965, the Catholic Church begins a movement to declare that the Jewish people were not responsible for the death of Christ, which was heavily against what was being propagated by the white supremacists in America. So they saw the Catholic Church rising up as a threat against even the gospel. And, you know, the world around them seems to be creating creating the scenario where the message cult itself is isolating against the world around them that are rising up against everything that William Branham has predicted, leading up to the scenario that looks very much like the one that he has predicted. And as you and I know, <laughs> that scenario never came before his death. Right. You know, lo looking back at it, you know, you realize that all of that stuff was just nonsense conspiracy theories. I mean, there, there was never, ever the slightest shred of possibility <laughs> that, that what he was saying was even remotely being cooked up by anybody. I mean, there, there's just no way, you know, like they're, but then they live in it. It was very real to them. It was very real to them. But I mean, there's, there was no secret Catholic attempt to make friends with the Jews who secretly controlled the communists to then uh, co-opt the civil rights movement to overthrow the United States. I mean, that was... This stuff is bonkers, John. Th yeah. This was absolute bonkers. And the man leading their message movement was a man who was bonkers. Okay? I mean, and it's just so crazy, this stuff that was in... 
that was in their heads that they were bought into. But th- this, I think, you know, th- this is a group that has loved political conspiracy theory since day one, right? This is just the kind of, of a movement that it is. Yeah, and the irony, Charles, is that I, you know, I grew up with the same conspiracy theory. We believe the... 1965 version of the stage persona and all of the conspiracy conspiracy theories that came with that but there are i've come i've encountered a lot of people there are probably a vast majority of people that the things that we've just said about how the doomsday is about to play out they have no idea that they're even supposed to believe that and they're in the message (laughs) so i think every i mean I don't know. I mean, maybe not every group was like ours, but I know we talked all the time that the Pope's going to sign the covenant with the Jews, right? I don't know if that featured very prominently in your sect. I know all of our churches. I mean, that was a well-known thing. The Pope's going to sign the covenant with the Jews, right? Yeah. Um, and bring on the end of days. That like that event is what initiates the final doomsday scenario, and then secretly. So, so you've got so you've got that which is you know supposed to happen, and then. It's conspiracy on top of conspiracy. Then that's conspiracy one. Conspiracy two is that the Jews secretly control communism. Okay, so now we're into conspiracy two. And then conspiracy three is the communists are secretly controlling the civil rights movement, right? So you've got one conspiracy controlling a second conspiracy, controlling a third conspiracy, which then is going to overthrow the... I mean, it... It is just bonkers, this stuff. And, and William Branham, you will find traces of that whole thing throughout his sermon. He's telling you the civil rights movement is communist-inspired, right? Yeah. He's telling you the race war stuff's going to happen on this end. The same thing in his sermons. He's telling you the Pope is going to sign his covenant with the Jews to bring on the end of days. And you'll also find in his sermons where he's also saying that... Um, the Jews are the ones, really, who are behind communism. You find all of that in his sermons. And he said all of that. And the thing is, you know, he never sat down and he just spelled it out in one sermon. But it's all there across all of his sermons. And that is the big, broad picture. And that is exactly what the white supremacists taught. Yeah. Um, and what what people believe in the message today for their end-time scenarios is an evolution out of that belief in the 60s. You may no longer recall, or people may not even be around necessarily tell you what that belief was when he died. That is what it was. And what you have today is an evolution of that belief. Yeah. You know, like I said earlier, it's, it's either coincidence or it was a strategy. I really haven't made up my mind. I'm kind of kind of on the fence as to which of the two it was. We do know that high-ranking white supremacy officials were in his meetings, and we have books like the one that you've mentioned a few times where people were going to a Klan rally, and then they would go to a Branham revival, and, oh my gosh, I see the same people that are touring the, you know, the revival at William Branham's healing revivals and it's the same people that were in the Klan rally so we know that there was this mixture of white supremacists among revival participants who weren't aware that there were white supremacists and I say that you know with a bit of skepticism I think they have to know that some of this exists but there has to be people that were unaware that there are white supremacists in the group with them and then You've got William Branham who, you know, it was a very watered-down version. It wasn't as blatantly racist as you, you know, I've heard the sermons of Wesley Swift. They're horrific. 
it wasn't like that, but it was a very watered down version. And I think the way I'll say it is like this. If it were to be a strategy, it was a brilliant, brilliant strategy because you've got the white supremacists who are saying things so heated that a non-white supremacist person would never listen to it. But then you've got William Branham, who's got this watered down version, who's saying the same exact things, but they're listening to it because it's not so racially charged and they're being swayed to that mindset. Once they're swayed to that mindset, now they can be, you know, they're open field for recruitment into white supremacy groups. So if this were to be a strategy, I'll say it like this. It was one of the most brilliant strategies ever employed in white supremacy religion. I my personal my more my opinion more is that these guys are just bonkers. <laughs> like I'm that's where I really think that these are. Now, I, I don't think, you know, not all of them, you know, not all of them, but the, the key players here, I think, are people who are um, mentally, have some mental problems. I, I really think that is, is what's at play here. And then some people love conspiracy theories. Um, yeah. You know, an, another really interesting thing about the message um, is that by 1965, William Branham had fully convinced his followers that the rapture scenario was in progress, right? So he's convinced them the doomsday is happening in front of your eyes, and now the rapture scenario is also in progress. And beginning in 1963, William Branham had largely convinced his following that the second coming of Jesus Christ had occurred. Um, and that second coming was something to do with the cloud and something to do with the spiritual return that happened there in 63. And it's not like most Christians would believe in the second coming, but it was the latter reigns manifested sons of God version of the second coming that William Branham was convincing his followers had happened. And essentially they believed Jesus Christ had already returned in some spiritual way to the church and that they had entered into a special phase of getting ready for the rapture. And because they had heard William Branham's midnight cry, they'd heard his shout, that made them the wise virgins, and they were the elite Christians who had then been selected to hear the special end-time mysteries. And they were all waiting, um, all of them were waiting for some vague, ill-defined thing to happen that was going to take them over the final hurdle for them all to have the rapture. Um, William Branham talked a bit about getting the rapturing faith, and then somehow that rapturing faith was going to come from what he called the third pull or the third phase of his ministry. Um, but he was never really clear about just exactly what the rapturing faith was or just exactly how the people would get it. The only thing he was consistent about is that he was the one that was going to show them the way to this rapturing faith. And so... Since he died before he could tell everyone how to get the rapturing faith or to give it to him, that just left this really huge mystery when he died unexpectedly. Because everyone is expecting the doomsday to happen any day, and William Branham is their ticket to heaven with this rapturing faith he's going to bring him. And so, it's just... um 
he dies leaving him that sort of suspense. And I, I don't know, John, did you all focus much on this rapturing faith in the tabernacle or in the other groups you were in? Did you ever hear much about that? <laughs> Absolutely, man. You know, <clears throat> not just in the Branham Tabernacle. I attended several different churches, and you would hear that as a theme, rapturing faith, rapturing faith. And, you know, you look around, you look back on this, and you look at the people around you, and I don't believe that every person who was sitting in the pews listened and thought of it in the same way. But as a child growing up in this, you really wanted to get there. You wanted to be able to have faith where you could move your own mountains, right? And so you, you would go around. I remember doing this, man. I'd go around and try to faith things to happen, like move an object or whatever. And it's so weird, man. It's like a Stephen King book, but... That's the way, that was my mindset as a child, and as a result of this, you must have rapturing faith. You must have a level of faith that is sufficient to save yourself instead of the gospel where you're looking to Jesus to save you. You have to have enough faith where you can make it on your own, which matches every single destructive cult theology that I've studied so far. Yeah, the, the message is obsessed and this obsession goes back to the, honestly, just the last few months of William Branham's life. They are obsessed with whatever this mysterious rapturing faith is. Like, that is the, I almost want to say that's the whole program is to whatever this rapturing faith is to obtain it. Like, that is, that you might say is the carrot that everyone is chasing. And it's really interesting how all the different groups ended up with their, um, unique spin on how to get the rapturing faith. Um, in, in the churches I come from, we believed that this thing we needed for the rapture was hidden in the seven thunders. Um, I don't know if that's how you guys believed it, but I do know that the, <laughs> you know, Joseph Coleman, the thunders churches, they believed it that way too. Yeah. And, and kind of taking that back to 1965, when you look at William Branham's sermons, um, he was right in the middle of telling people what the seven thunders were to be um, he just started to introduce that, but his death interrupted whatever plan he had to roll that thing out, right? So he was never able to get over the hump to explain to his followers just how or what this rapturing faith was and how to get it, or the thunders was and how to get it. And he just left everyone in that kind of a state, um when he died. And that's part of what led to people starting to canonize his teachings after he died um, and put them under the microscope because his followers were all convinced that this, whatever this was, was in his teaching somewhere. And if they would study his teachings enough and look at it enough, they could find this mysterious thing hidden in there, which was absolutely critical to them escaping the doomsday that was just about to happen. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it several times, but this was a stage act <clears throat> that William Branham was in. And this weird question is raised. Once he starts losing his mind in the later years, did he believe the stage act? Some people say yes. Or was it still a stage act and he was just crazy? <clears throat> I don't know. I still haven't formed an opinion on that either. But I do know that as a stage act, a magician, for example, if a magician has this great trick and everybody comes to see the trick and they get so proud of the trick that they tell everybody how they do it. 
it's no longer a magic trick, right? Everybody just kind of, oh, yeah, I know how that works. <laughs> and they don't keep coming. Well, William Branham does the same thing. He says that he had this great revelation. These angels met him, and they gave him this divine mystery. And you'll hear, you know, many, many churches in the cult will say, he opened the seven seals, and he knows the seven-sealed mystery. And <clears throat> what's weird is he does what the what the magicians do he doesn't really tell you what this mystery is but he says that he said it on tape and so everybody goes back and they try to figure out so they're like pouring over these yeah. series of sermons trying to well where is it what did he say i i can't find anything in there and what it ends up with is all of these groups splinter because one man says, oh, I found it. It's this. <laughs> and he'll create this movement and that that splinters off from the message. And it turns into this generator of cults because every single group that thinks that they found the quote unquote mystery, number one, they don't know that all of this was plagiarized from other men and it was just commentaries on the Bible. But number two, they think he actually said something, and this was a sleight-of-hand technique. I said it. Can you find it? <laughs> I, I think that is one of the biggest dividers in the message is what the rapturing faith is, how to get it, what the seven thunders are, how to get them, when, you know, that is that is a huge point of contention between all of the different groups. And it all goes back to William Branham was mid-rollout of those things when he died. Yeah, carrot on a um, stick, man. Yeah. And if if you can kind of imagine the message um, like it's this really riveting cliffhanger thriller drama, okay, and every chapter keeps you on the edge of your seat, but then you get to the last chapter, but before William Brown could write the last chapter, he suddenly died. And so, 1965, the message is like an unfinished cliffhanger story. And that is where William Branham had his cult in the last couple months of his life. He had them right on the edge of their seats expecting this big, huge, climatic reveal to happen at just any minute. And then he died, right? And I, yeah. I can, I can remember all the different old test, old timers, John, and a lot of them would testify how that every church service that they would go listen to William Branham, they were thinking, could this be it? Is the rapture going to happen before this service out? Is this the one where we're going to get the rapturing faith? Is this the service we're going to hear the thunders, you know? And William Branham fed that hype, and he really sensationalized everything to the point that he really did have um, his people sitting there really hanging on his every word like it was a matter of life and death. And to them, they really believed it was. Yeah. And this is the part that, for me, it's just so sad, Charles, because I've seen the arguments. People post them in the comment feeds about how William Branham's doomsday failed. And so then in the comment feeds, they say, well, it's no different than Christianity. Jesus promised all of these things. And now 2000 years later, these things haven't happened. But there's a significant difference, Charles. When Jesus is talking about how the world is going to transition, how you're going to be taken to heaven, he is talking symbolically, and there's a, a big difference between the symbolism that's used in the Bible and William Branham, who is pointing to specific current events and specific dates. And when one date fails, he moves the date to the next date, and that date fails, and he moves it to the next date. He, William Branham, is pointing to a specific current timeline that has to be within 
you know, within even the next five years. And when that five years fails, he moves it to the next five years and the next five years. Well, by the time he reaches 1965, it's down to the minute, man. These people are so uptight about the world ending because now they're seeing all of these things happen around them with the Catholic Church and communism and wars and earthquakes. And I mean, during the same time in 1965, you had India went to war with Pakistan and communist China starts building up their troops on the border to India. And so they're seeing communism just rise up and they think the whole world is going to be engulfed in a battle between communism. So all of this is happening around. And it's so sad for me because for me, it is like being a kid and your dad is saying, we're going to go on a trip. As soon as I get back, get home from work, we're going to go on a trip and we're going to go on vacation. We'll go to the beach or whatever, pack your bags and everybody packs their bags and in the family and they sit there on the couch waiting for him. And on the way home, he gets in a car wreck and dies. And as a kid, you're sitting there Well, number one, your parents dead. Number two, you're packed for vacation and he promised that we would go, you know, you're not going to go there. And that's the state that William Branham left the people in the message. They were down to the minute of this is the doomsday that's going to happen. We know the year it's going to happen. We know all of the key political events that are all happening. I mean, these are current events. They're not future events. These are current events that are playing out right now in the world, and we see these events, and we're going to be raptured into heaven. That's the state that the message mindset was in when he died. And as a result of this, when it failed, there are some very devious, evil minds. I know them specifically, who tried to transition this after he died by focusing each one of those onto something similar in a future event. So those those key events that were playing out right there in the minds of the people as they're seeing this doomsday unfold, well, they kind of lost them over time. And then years later, the message cult started bringing them back. And they said, well, this is very similar because Russia's doing this, or this is very similar because China's doing this, or whatever it is. And they try to refocus it. And in doing so, number one, they make them different prophecies for different age, for different timeline. Number two, William Branham's dead, so he can't even be involved in any of this. So you spin off the he's going to rise from the dead to take it back. And you end up with this weird mess that is not even a resemblance of Christianity. It is just a bunch of some insane men, but some very evil men who have found a way to make a lot of money off of this. It, it's odd, and the message in some ways is stuck, stuck in that stuff. Did you, when you were in the message, John, so I, I left in, uh, you know, the 2020s, did you know that Russia was not communist anymore? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to laugh I, at me when I say this, but I did not know that until <clears throat> it's probably only five years ago because I was so manipulated <laughs> in that mindset and brainwashed yeah, to believe Russia's right? communist. <laughs> I, I think the average message believer does not know Russia's not a communist country anymore, right? Like uh, William Bram says communist, you know, facts be damned, it's communist, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> that is rush, but that's the message is it, it's crazy how these things just they can't let go. You know, 
they're stuck. They're stuck back in those days. I recently heard a minister say in rebuttal to something that I can't remember who it was that was sharing this information, but when <laughs> they learned that Russia wasn't communism and half of his church is going, oh my gosh, wait a minute, this can't be. He actually proclaimed that secretly they are secret communists. <laughs> the country is not, but the mindset of the people, brothers and sisters, oh, okay. they are a communist mindset. Right. Secret <laughs> oh, boy, John. You know, it, it, like you mentioned, it, it, this is very different what William Branham did from, from Jesus. You know, Jesus, when when the, the apostles or whatever would come and ask him about this stuff, he was always very consistent with them. He's like, it's not for you to know the time, <laughs> you know, that the end is going to happen. And he's always, anytime he talked about this stuff, he always told them, do not become obsessed with the doomsday, right? Don't Don't be obsessed with it. What you need to do instead is go be preaching the gospel and loving each other and being decent people. And if he finds you doing that when the doomsday comes, you're just going to be fine, right? I mean, that's... But William Branham transformed all of this stuff, you know, with convincing them that Jesus had already started to come back in 63, and now he's got the shout, and they need his shout in order to make it into this group. Unless they're in this group with his shout, his midnight cry, you're all going to stay behind and burn up, right? And so he's totally, he's totally twisted the way that Jesus presented the end. Jesus said, you're not going to know when it happens, right? No man knows the day or the hour. Just be faithful, and whenever it happens, you're going to be fine, right? William Branham twists it into, it's coming, and your only hope out, your only way out, is what I can teach you, right? It, yeah. it, it's something else. And, you know, another thing that had really came into focus in the final years of his life is that William Branham started also to come out very plainly claiming to be that Elijah of Malachi 4, and claiming to be the seventh church age messenger in that last phase. He had been hinting at that and insinuating that since at least 1960 um, and through the 50s, but it's really only in the last couple years and really last few months of his life that he started to get really plain about it, right? Um, in December 1964, about a year before he died, he preached a sermon, Who Do You Say This Is? Who Do You Say This Is? And in that sermon for the first time, William Branham publicly and unmistakably for the first time really claims to be the Elijah of Malachi 4. Um, that's the first time he does it in that real public way. And I know for sure people had been promoting the idea that he was Elijah privately since 1952. William Branham had been planting those seeds all along from his earliest sermons, but it was only the last couple years of his life um, that that open claim towards the Elijah stuff really came front and center for him. And he honed in, especially into Elijah's fight with Jezebel. And he basically labeled all of his enemies Jezebels, right? Every, it's amazing how many Jezebels there was. Um, and he was the Elijah sent by God to fight against the Jezebels. JFK was Ahab and Jacqueline was uh, Jezebel in one sermon. And then the next sermon, the Catholic Church is the Jezebel. And then the next sermon, the Protestant denominations are the Jezebel. And basically, he turned all of his enemies into Jezebels and Ahabs. Um, and he, he basically used that to justify whatever terrible thing he wanted to say about, about the people he didn't like. I'm Elijah. They're Jezebel. They're dog meat. And I'm here to tell you that they're going to be dog meat. You know, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like that. And some of them were men, Charles. Wouldn't that be Jezebel? <clears throat> it's, you know, when I look back on the civil rights movement and all of the 
white supremacy opposition to it. It's just very shocking to see how much of it was aligned with the white supremacy of the era. I mean, even the Elijah theme, you and I recently researched this, but even the Elijah theme was something that came out of white supremacy. What's really bizarre, and there's certain things you can only just speculate a little bit, so right after William Branham died, Wesley Swift, okay, we're talking about the leader of the Christian identity movement. Wesley Swift, just shortly after he dies, proclaims that Elijah has come in the past couple years. And he starts using that Elijah theme in, within the Christian identity movement. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Behold, again, I send you a ride to the prophet. Same thing, you know, they're, they're all going to stop the race war, they're going to have to survive the, you know, the Catholic purge, they're, the whole thing, right? I mean, it, there's so much similarity, so much overlap, um, and if you listen, so I don't encourage anyone to listen to Wesley Swift sermons, okay? <laughs> if you really want to fact check me, go chit listen to Wesley Swift sermons. Otherwise, do not listen to that man's sermons. That is, I mean, evil hate speech. Awful. Okay. Um, but William Branham and him are preaching the same themes. William Branham just tends to, he generally omits the word black and Jew, whereas Wesley Swift will say the word black and Jew. But otherwise, it's the same thing. The, the, the civil rights is the communists. The Jews secretly control the communists who then control the civil rights. They're all going to make a deal with the Pope. End of days is here. It's going to be a race war. Like, he is same theme, same everything in that way. Um, yeah, and then in 1966, he combines that with the Elijah theme. And I, I, again, we know Wesley Swift was directly connected to Roy Davis. There's, there's lots to think about about how William Branham's death also affected the Christian identity movement when he died as well. Because oh, yeah. to us, you know, it's hidden. Like, we don't, we obviously in the message believe he had no connection to that at all, but he did, and his death did have an impact there, and you can see that um, in their sermons. It's clear that they were influencing and counter-influencing each other in some way. Yeah, and I don't think you can <clears throat> tie the Elijah directly to Wesley Swift or William Branham, to be honest. <clears throat> it was a, from what I can tell, it was a common theme among white supremacists when Kennedy was rising into power, they were metaphorically labeling him as Ahab, and they were labeling Jacqueline Kennedy as Jezebel. And because of Jezebel's association to Elijah, all of the white supremacists were symbolizing the white supremacy, the rise of white supremacy as the spirit of Elijah. And that appeared to be, at least from my limited research because I wasn't alive back then that appears to be the theme that was used and employed it's ironic to me that after the death of Kennedy that William Branham who is connected directly to Roy E Davis <laughs> Roy E Davis is in the meetings in these revivals with Branham the imperial wizard is with William Branham in these meetings it's ironic that the People attending William Branham's ministry gave him this title whenever this was a back during this era. A lot of people don't know this, Charles. During this era, 
the spirit of Elijah was the white supremacy, and William Branham gets the title. Now, why? That's the question I have. Why did he get the title? Yeah, it, it, it it's really something else. And what's and what's really amazing, if you will take the time to study this out, there's a book called Religion and the Racist Right. I've I've held it up here before. Um, that book ties all this together in a way that you know, more deeply than we're going to have opportunity to go into right here. But this Elijah claim all comes out of British or Israelism. The white supremacists, the Wesley Swift, the Christian identity theology, and William Branham all have their roots back to the same circle of British Israelite preachers in the United States from the 20s and the 2010s and so forth. So they're all out of a common root, right? And yes, they were racists, and yes, they were Nazis, and yes, they all believed in that Elijah prophecy, and and yes, they did all apply that prophecy in the 60s um, to what was going on in that current day to fight against, um, yeah, the Kennedy and the rising civil rights movement. It, it's something else. Something else. You know, uh, another thing that became really sharp in the last few months of William Branham's life was just how viciously he attacked the other Christian denominations, too. There had been this kind of slow, simmering disagreement with the Pentecostals going back to the 50s. You know, he'd obviously been sanctioned, and they more or less had closed their doors to him. But as you come into the 1960s, I think that's the point in time he seems to really give up any hope of ever trying to mend fences or anything. And especially that last bit of his life, all of that anger and hatred towards the Pentecostals came out, and he became very aggressive towards them in his sermons. William Branham started to preach that basically they're all going to go to hell. Um, he preached that being a member in a denomination um, was either the mark of the beast itself or worshipping the image of the beast. So if you were in a denomination, you were definitely worshipping the image of the beast, and you are going to go to hell. And as you come up to 1965, he really ratcheted that rhetoric up to a really extreme level. And the World Council of Churches was his, kind of his, a, a target he hit a lot. Which again, if you go listen to Wesley Swift's sermon, it's the same thing. Wesley Swift yeah. is saying the World Council of Churches is behind all the, it's the same stuff, right? And as many of William Branham's followers in the message, um, many of them have developed a visceral hatred for denominations. It's not, it's, it's, it's a, almost a visible reaction you can see on some people's faces when you talk about denominations. And especially when it comes to Catholics. Message people can be almost militant, some of them, when it comes to Catholics. And introducing that really deep hatred and fear of any other Christian group outside of the message had a really big impact on William Branham's followers. It was one of the most important walls that William Branham erected to keep his people in because at that same time he's convincing him he's the only one who can show them the way to this rapturing faith he's also convincing them that all the other christian groups are their worst enemies and are the agents of satan and so of course you know that's not a new thing either i just want to point out believing all the denominations are the image of the beast or the mark of the beast that is actually a belief that's held by Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah Witnesses. And I, I truly believe that is where William Branham copied it from. Um, if you take time to compare um, 
Charles Taze Russell's teachings in Jehovah Witness literature, you'll find William Brandon was actually recycling their themes um, when he spoke about what the image of the beast was and Protestant denominations being part of that. And so what William Branham did with that, though, is he created both a carrot and a stick for manipulating the minds of his followers to stay under his control and then to cut them off from any outside influence. And what's kind of remarkable is he he really was using um, Charles Taze Russell's Jehovah Witness framework to do that. He did it in the same way with the same verses and the same terminology. And so as you come to 1965, William Branham had just... I don't want to say finally, but he had really taken to this new height, a new level, this level of control over his followers at a higher level than he had had at any other time. And he had control over them in such a way that they were really locked in from really having anywhere else to go. He was their only way to escape the coming judgment, and those people really believed it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I pointed out earlier that the people who are in the cult today, and a lot of the historians who look at William Branham, they filter him through the final version of his stage persona. They think that, okay, this is the way he ended up, so this is the way that he was, this was his ministry, and this was his position. Because when a person writing a biography or history on William Branham go to the source, they go to the leaders in the cult, these leaders will deceptively tell you that he came with a consistent quote-unquote message, that he was always supportive and and against these certain things, and that carried through his ministry to the final version. And then they'll give him, give whoever is researching or writing, they'll give them these specific quotes from these specific sermons. Use these as your subject matter. And they won't tell you that it's polar opposite from the earlier version when he allegedly received the commission by God. <clears throat> and the you mentioned the position against the denominations. Well, even in his earliest newsletters, it was called an interdenominational ministry. That, that phrase was used often, and he would use sentences like, if the other denominations draw you out of their circle, draw a bigger circle and draw them back in. It was interdenominational. But after he loses his mind and the walls start closing in on him and all of the you know, the denominations that used to participate in the revival saw this thing as a threat, and they started cutting him off one by one. Well, now he's preaching against those. And to the cult of personality, like you said, where do you go? They see the end of days is coming. They see all of this, you know, all of the things that William Branham is pointing to in that specific timeline. These are key events that we see are about to happen before the doomsday. These these events that are happening right now at this very time. And then he dies. Well, what do you, where do you go? You can't go to a denomination. You can't go to a normal church because he's he's now preached against every single church. So you have this group of people that in any normal scenario, if it was not a cult of personality, they would have just went to another church when he died. But that's not the case. They have to stay in this cult of personality because every single other denomination out there has been taking the mark of the beast if you listen to his, the later version of his stage persona. It's really amazing how how he pulled all that off and convinced everyone of that and how it just got that amazing hold on them right there in the last, last parts of his life. Yeah. You know, by 1965, William Branham's cult following had totally bought into all of that. 
and he had totally locked down a, a, a group of dedicated, loyal followers who would accept just anything he told them. I mean, just listen to the marriage and divorce sermon and see. <laughs> They'll accept anything he told them and obey any instructions he gave them. And they fully bought into everything he was saying. You know, they believed he was a special end-time messenger who was going to lead them to the rapture. That is what they believed. And they were all on the edge of their seats expecting this climatic end would come at any minute. And no one had the slightest idea, John, that 60 years from then, you know, two guys would be sitting on a podcast talking about them not being in the rapture. <laughs> right? If if you walked into one of William Branham's meetings back then and said, hey, you guys, you're all wrong. 60 years from now, we're still going to be here talking about you guys being wrong. They would have tarred and feathered you and throwed you out of the church, right? Like, that that was not, uh, they would have been outraged, like viciously outraged. They would have gnashed on you with your teeth, you know, to use biblical context. <laughs> like they would have came after you if you said back to them, 60 years from now, you're still going to be here or you'll be dead and there'll be no rapture, right? Because they're in that doomsday crazy world that they, they can't see reality, right? But here, right. 60 years later, we're still here. And they could have never fathom that and you know the same thing is here today right if you tell these people that they all think it's coming you know six months from now or less and you tell them you're crazy that's not going to happen that you know they're the it's the exact same mentality and so they have been wrong about this doomsday stuff for 60 years straight right and they're still wrong today but they're basing it all on these doomsday beliefs that William Branham indoctrinated them with. And, you know, at a certain point, you think you wake up and realize, wait a minute, okay, the 60-year track record is this is wrong. Isn't that the definition <laughs> of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? But that's that's where they are. That's where they are. Yeah, I see it as the result of manipulation. Because, again, I can't hit this point hard enough. These were key current events that William Branham was predicting doomsday for. They were events that were taking place in the timeline of the people in 1965. All of these events were playing out. This is it. This is the big, like uh, Fred Sanford, this is the big one. That's what he's doing right here with, <laughs> with the message cult. <clears throat> and then what happens is after he dies, these message leaders will manipulate the people by saying this current event that we're having today in 2000. 23. This is exactly what he predicted. But yet there's variances because it's not the same event. It's a similar event. I'll give him that, but it's not the same event. And so there are details that don't fit. And so there you get this rift between all the different sects of the message because this sect leader basically says this event is exactly what William Branham said. And the other one said no because this detail doesn't fit. And neither one of them you know, these men study this. They know this stuff. Neither one of them is telling you that it did fit exactly back in the 60s. It was an event back then. And I just see the whole thing as pure deception. That's all it is. Right, John. I mean, of, of course, William Branham thought it was going to happen then. I mean, that's why he said 1977, right? I mean, William Branham, and he, he told his people that they, that it was going to happen in, in their lifetime, right? Um, let me, let me look at that. Let me look at an example of that, you know, because here's a, here's a quote from a sermon that William Branham told his followers. This is in the sermon, um, his unfailing word. William Branham says here, the generation that sees the fig tree, the fig tree is always Israel, 
And when Israel goes back to her homeland and becomes a nation, that generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. And Christian trends tonight in this great scruple in the scriptures that people think is scrupled, we are now living to see the very everything that he has said here is fulfilled. Just the next thing for is for his coming. Israel is in her homeland. She is her own nation. She got her own money, own flag, a member of the UN. She is a nation. The first time for about 2,500 years since she has been a nation. And Jesus promised that the generation, and in the Bible, a generation is allotted to 40 years. So, you know, you can see there William Branham is plainly telling them the generation that's living right there listening to him is going to be the generation of people that lives to see the end. And he, you know, he used that that fig tree um, illustration. But John, I mean, he was wrong. I mean, he was just dead wrong. They all absolutely believed. And there's no way to read quotes like that from William Branham without, without saying, yeah, he is telling his people that are sitting there that their generation is going to live to see the end. Um, and, and I know that was a huge belief in my part of the message. A huge belief. And everyone still believes that to this day pretty well in my mess, my part of the message. Everyone to, to this day believes that that generation, that it has, the end has to happen before that generation is all dead. Oh yeah. It's, even in the main set, it's not so much anymore because I think the new, the new leadership is not telling the people that that was the case but i grew up with my parents telling me it's for it's for my generation they would say yes. and you know i i grew up that's believing what william told them exactly that's and not just william branham every single minister who was in this thing were telling the churches that this is for our generation because william branham said it's for our generation not just right. on recorded sermon but also in private he was saying this to these people so you've got this wide swath of the older people who are saying that it's before I die, most of them are dying out, Charles. And right. the new people of the cult are not being told that that was, <laughs> that was for those people back then. And all of those events that we're talking about, the doomsday scenario events, were for the 60s. Right. William Branham gave many people private prophecies that they would live to see the rapture. Yeah. Um, most all of them have died. Um, and... Some of them, you know, went to their grave believing it. Um, and then, of course, you got the, you know, the most famous one of all is probably, you know, the Billy Paul. You'll not live to be an old man, right? Yeah. Um, supposed <laughs> prophecy. Right. Because William Branham, they re it was supposed to be happening in that generation, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, there's just not going to be any of them left. I mean, there's almost, there's very few of them left already as it is, Right. Um, because quotes like that last one I read, John, he made those quotes a whole lot. And he was very clear that the people who were alive during the days of his ministry and specifically, you know, the, the, what Jesus said there, he, he co-opted that, which I don't believe that's what Jesus said. But in essence, he said that the return of Jesus Christ had to happen in the same generation as the founding of the nation of Israel, which happened in, you know, 1948. So, Basically, the same year he supposedly got his call to be, you know, a prophet, right? So he had that all lined up. So basically, the people who were alive at the year that Israel became a nation, he got his call to be a prophet. They all were going to live to see the rapture. And that, at this point, is 75 years ago, John. 75 years ago. And that viewpoint was almost 
entirely, universally held by the early people in the message. And even, like where I come from, it is still a universally held belief. And I think there are a number of sects of the message where it is still a universally held belief that that generation cannot um, die uh, before the end comes. And it's all largely predicated there on William Branham's fig tree interpretation. Now, William Branham copied that from other people, just like he copied everything else, too. You know, I can tell you where he got that from. But the difference is that William Branham, um, he included that when he preached the seals. Yeah. Okay? He, he had that prediction when he preached the seals. So he turned it into something that was divine inspiration that when these angels came to him and the Holy Spirit... This was part of the divine inspiration with the seals. So you have embedded in the seals a thus saith the Lord doomsday prediction that he supposedly got from the Holy Spirit, Spirit John. And that to me is the scariest of all of his predictions because unlike the 1977 prediction, that doomsday thus saith the Lord belief that's embedded in the seals is a matter of life and death for quite a number of message groups today. And, and you can only stretch that so far. And the truth is, they're already at the point there's no stretch left in that prophecy. I mean, they're right, right there. I mean, right there. It cannot really be stretched any further. Yeah. What they're doing now, I'm told, is that they're taking things that William Branham intended to be literal, and they're twisting them into these are spiritual things billy paul is not there's no person today even in the cult who does not recognize that his son billy paul is an old man and yet at the same time they're all aware that william branham said that before he is an old man that los angeles is going to sink beneath the ocean so what they're doing is they're twisting it and they're saying well when he goes to the other side and he receives his new body that's whenever he's going to be a young man, and then California's going to sink. So they're, they're even having to rewrite the, the biblical chrono, chronology of what is supposed to take place in the end of days, and they're rewriting Bible passages literally to support failed prophecy and failed predictions that had a distinct, definite timeline in the message. What I find... Um scariest here is this is just the combination of these two things so he has he has given them these doomsday predictions which they they still believe and they keep stretching and stretching and stretching right so you have that on one hand then on the other hand you've got he left them with this vague rapturing faith they need for the doomsday right and what (laughs) at a certain point you know they can turn that rapturing faith, they can turn the thunders into whatever they want, right? Because most of the people, it's vague. It's a vague thing. No one, no one, I think, hardly quantitatively will say, we know what this rapturing faith is. We just know we need it. And, you know, you, you can, if you can convince them the end is next week, and then you can convince them, I'm telling you right now, this is the rapturing faith. There are sects of the message that are so radical, they will do literally anything you tell them This you need to get this rapturing faith, to make the doomsday next week. And William Branham set up this dreadful cocktail of scariness where a cult leader can literally do anything when he has convinced them um, that the doomsday is, is next week and here's what you need, rapturing faith, in order to make it. Yeah. And, you know, I said that it's somewhat emotional. It's really sad for me. This this specifically, this is probably the biggest 
most difficult thing for me. <clears throat> I know ministers, and I've mentioned it before in this episode even, I know ministers that are purposefully, knowingly deceiving the people. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know these men. I know what they do. I, I know their histories. I know all of this stuff. And these these men are not religious men, some of them. But on the flip side, there are some ministers in the cult who are truly deceived, who have no idea that they're in a cult. They have no idea that they've been brainwashed and they themselves have been manipulated to manipulate other people. <clears throat> These men think they're doing good and they think that they're bringing up children in the way in which they should be raised. But as a child, when you're being told that your salvation is dependent on how powerful your own faith is. All of the weight of salvation is on your own shoulders as a child. And you're thinking, well, I can't, I don't have enough faith. The Bible says faith to move mountains. I can't move a mountain. And <clears throat> all of these children are being raised like this. All of the men who are parroting the rapturing faith doctrines are also parroting Branham himself. You'll go listen to a sermon, and they're not saying the Bible says this, the Bible says that. They're saying, and William Branham told us that the Bible says this, and William Branham told us that the Bible says that. That's how they preach. These men are saying the things that Branham says in every one of those where they're talking about the end-of-day scenario, Branham himself is not only in it, but Branham is the person who is supposed to bring them the rapturing faith, and he's dead. So as a child, you're thinking, well, number one, I don't have enough faith. Number two, the guy that I'm supposed to get it from is dead. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. How do I get out of this? How do I get out of this situation? How did I get born into this situation? And as a child, you're mortified. You grow up just totally mortified that you're going to die at any minute because they're still preaching doomsday at any minute. So I'm going to die at any minute. I can't be saved. How can I be saved? I, I don't have enough faith to do this. That's the mentality of a child in this cult. Yeah, and you know what you mentioned there at the start of that, you know, there you're right. You know, there are people in there, preachers, who genuinely believe the stuff in there and they genuinely believe they're doing the right thing and trying to help people. You know, that that's what I was. I mean, I was a genuine believer in this thing when I was in there. And you know, you really believe when you're preaching this stuff, you really believe that this is the only way to escape the destruction of the world, and you really believe you're helping these people escape the imminent doomsday by getting them to the perfection or the rapturing faith or the stature of a perfect man that William Branham said we needed to get to, you know? And when you're doing that, I mean, it's... You really think you're doing the right thing, but really you've just been tricked, right? And it's, and it's so hard to wake up from that. And a lot of these people have done so much stuff in the name of this false idea that it's really hard for them to come to grips with that. I think that's part of it for some of them. And then others, they're just, they, they refuse to even look at the evidence, right? Like, they will not actually listen to any of these videos, look, watch this evidence, because in their mind, they, that's unbelief that they're going to let into their head. And they're actually right. I mean, if they actually let these ideas into their head, 
it'll roll around in there and torment them because they know the me- at that point they know something's wrong. So they just they refuse to let those ideas in their head. And William Branham actually trained the people in the message that way. Greatest battle ever fought sermons like that. You do not listen. You lock out and you just do not even let these thoughts ever Never allow yourself to come into contact with something that's going to allow you to question the message, right? Because that'll roll around in your head, and, and, and unbelief is a sin, and then you're going to have to fight unbelief. So everything was built by William Branham to trap these people um, into this mindset. And it don't even matter that they have a 60-year track record of being wrong, right? To them, it's still the truth, right? Like, the 60-year track record of being wrong means nothing to them, right? Like, and somehow they can reconcile that... Um, and and still go on, right? And somehow it can still be right to them, even though it's been wrong 60 years in a row. Yeah. I was talking recently to a person who wasn't in, um, <clears throat> wasn't in the message, direct message cult, but was in something that was produced because of the message. And he was asking about, how can they do this? How can they take a prophecy that's given? And when it clearly fails... They say that it didn't fail. It went. It happened supernaturally or spiritually. How do they rewrite this? And <clears throat> that's what these people are doing. They have literally been brainwashed and manipulated to believe that if somebody lies to you and says that they have this supernatural experience and X, Y, and Z is going to happen, and then it doesn't happen, they're either trained to rewrite history to make it fit the prophecy or point it to something else that was never intended to be pointed to in the first place or see this happened in the supernatural it didn't happen in the physical so with that mindset charles you can literally lie about anything you can tell any lie that you want to and you can make it fit that scenario something else moving the goalpost i think is what they call some of that Move the goalpost. Predicted it didn't happen. Okay, well, you either misunderstood me or spiritual or this or that. We did the same thing when our doomsdays failed and our parts of the message, too. So maybe one last area I'd like to just touch on before we wrap this episode up, John, is um, kind of what William Branham's relationship was with the rest of the Pentecostal world in 1965. Just what what exactly was it like at that point? And by that point, he had lost... Um, most of his support from all the mainstream Pentecostals he'd had. He'd even had his falling out with Foursquare and the UPC by then. And the only external support that William Branham had um, was from Joseph Matson-Bose and the Independent Assemblies of God, and then more importantly from the Full Gospel Businessmen. Outside of that, he had largely been shut out of everywhere else by 1965. And his relationship with the Independent Assemblies and the Full Gospel Businessmen was also in decline. Um, but I don't want to, you know, make that small because his relationship with the full gospel businessman could have propelled him into massive fame, just like it did with T.L. Osborne, just like it did with Kenneth Hagin. So that wasn't a nothing thing that he had. It, it was still a very powerful vehicle he could use to maintain national fame if he, if he was able to harness it the right way. But it, he was in decline in those years, even with them. I, I don't think he ever fully recovered from the trouble in 1961 where the Deity cult was exposed and then the homosexual accusations were made by the Ministerial Association. And that Ministerial Association who made the homosexual rumors, you know, he never said who it was, but my personal guess, it was almost certainly the Independent Assemblies of God who made that. Because that was the only, the only two Ministerial Associations he was working with was 
the Independent Assemblies and Joseph Matz, Joseph Matz and Bose's group, and then the Full Gospel Businessmen. I mean, these, those were the only ones he was working with them. So it had to be one of those two that made the homosexual accusations against him. And just based on the way it all fell, I would say the more likely one that made the homosexual applications was the Independent Assemblies of God. Anyways, yeah. I, he, he never fully recovered from, from that and then the exposure of the Deity cult. Um, he, he was repairing it. He was mending it. He was, he was trying to fix it. But I don't think by 65 he had even quite been able to recover from that. And his, Oral Roberts, in a lot of ways, eclipsed him in those years, um, becoming the biggest name with the full gospel businessman. Oral Roberts was speaking. He got, Oral Roberts was getting some of the more prominent speaking positions at that point, uh, as you come after that with, with those groups. And William Branham, um, though he was still the biggest name preacher with the independent assemblies at that point, but everything was in decline, I feel. Both of those groups, he was still preaching their big conventions. They were still financing him. And he was even still scheduled to hold revivals with them going into 1966, right? Like you can find newspaper advertisements of his 1996 speaking engagements for the Full Gospel Businessmen. But then when he died, it's, it is literally T.L. Osborne and Kenneth Hagin who stepped in and took over William Branham's slots in the Full Gospel Businessmen conventions when William Branham died. And so, I think out there, T.L. Osborne and Kenneth Hagin were the biggest winners when William Branham died. They stepped in, and they are the men who really filled the position that he held in the charismatic movement at that point. Yeah, and this is where it gets somewhat weird, because when you read a biography about William Branham or some history about his ministry, like I said, they look at the last version of the stage persona and filter everything through it. There is a variance here because every single one of them will talk about how big his ministry was and how powerful his affiliation with all of these different groups was during the 50s and 60s. But then when you're growing up in the isolationist sects of the cult, they talk about it. They they use William Branham's sermon one in a million to talk about how it's always been this little tiny group. That's all it ever was. This little tiny group, and this little tiny group was able to influence. They don't tell you that there was the there were these deep connections. <clears throat> What's really weird for me, and again, you'll never know strategy of the things going on in the background. But whenever I align the white supremacy with the message, it fits like a zipper. You see all of these different strategic movements within white supremacy, and you see William Branham parroting them in his ministry. It fits like a zipper, you know, the timeline. Towards the end of it, Roy Davis, who has been, you know, we talked about when he was ordained William Branham and the people that he was working with then, when he goes to prison and Branham separates, when he comes back and Branham joins again, you know, in that mindset. Well, towards the end of his life, around, you know, approximately after the Kennedy assassination, Davis starts backing away from the scene. And as he goes into seclusion, you also see the message connections to other denominations suddenly start disappearing. And I can't say that there's a direct correlation between those two things, but I can say that there is a significance in that the timeline appears to fit. 
Davis pulls back. Everybody else pulls back from William Branham. Was this a direct result? I don't know, but it's really, really weird when you stop and think about it. So, John, as we bring in at this episode to an end, our aim was to paint a picture of what the message in the culture around William Branham looked like on the eve of his death. And there's there, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job. There was uh, there's some scattered groups following his teachings. They generally believe he was Elijah, the prophet, who was their only hope of finding the rapturing faith to escape the doomsday, which was being executed by the Catholic Church in a conspiracy with the Jews and the communists and the civil rights movement to overthrow the United States. <laughs> and they were right all living on the edge of their seats in total anticipation, hanging on his every word expecting at any moment he was going to unveil to them the final mystery and show them the rapturing faith that would take them out of this world. And so that is the state they were in in December 1965 when news came that William Branham had been killed in a car accident. And so you can imagine the shock uh, that was to his followers. And in our next episode, we're going to start diving into the events uh, surrounding William Branham's death. You know, it's it's sad to think about it, Charles, but <laughs> in a way, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you know these books by Sue Grafton. A is for alibi, E is for evidence, B is for burglar. She's got all of it, and she goes through the alphabet. Well, she died before she could make it to Z, and you're left hanging. Well, <laughs> what's Z going to be, right? That's what happened in the message. You're building up to this event, this climactic event. Every single prophecy is pointing to a current event that's happening right here, right now. And then he died. And that's next episode for us, Charles. (laughs) (laughs) So if you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming. 